So good to see all of you here this morning. And if you would, please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, and we're going to be dealing with verses 19 through 31. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. We're doing this series of messages on Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, and it's a study of all of the parables that Jesus taught. Now, Jesus' parables often end uh, up by surprising us by the way that they end, and sometimes we miss that final message uh, if we're not paying close attention. So uh, that's the case with the parable that we're dealing with this morning, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We find that in uh, Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, and this is what it says. It says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and then fine, and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at the gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried to the, by the angels to the Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in the Hades or in hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, and nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. May God add the blessing of the reading of his word. And let's unite our hearts together in prayer. Father God, we come to you once again, and we thank you, Lord, for your love and mercy. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather together here this morning to read and to study your scripture. And we pray, Lord, that you teach us. Open the ears of our heart, Lord, as well as the ears of our mind that, mean that we might truly grasp the meaning of this passage this morning. We thank you for your goodness toward us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus. At first, there are really three sections to this parable. The first one 
He's dealing with uh, the judgment, or we, it assumes, we think, that he might be dealing with the judgment of the self-sufficient rich, and then it turns to the reality of the eternal judgment and the absolute horror of uh, hell. And then at the end, we find something totally different. Uh, and this is the main lesson of the whole parable, and so many times we miss it by focusing on the rich man and Lazarus and the judgment and those kinds of things. I want us to look this morning and try to focus in and get the full meaning and the full understanding of what this parable is all about. And uh, I've, I've given you three points in this uh, message this morning. The first one is in this life, and we're going to look at the two main characters and try to understand what's going on with them while they were in this life before they died and before they went to their eternal uh, resting place. And the first, there was a rich man. We're looking at, if you've got the outline, this is in this life that we're looking at, and it's in verses 19 through 23, and I'm going to read them again. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at the gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. First, there was this rich man, and the Bible says that he dressed every day in purple and in fine linen. He treated every day, it seemed like it was a festival. It seemed like there was a celebration. There was a big party going on. He was really letting everybody know that he was wealthy and that uh, he, through this big feast, the Bible says that he fared sumptuously every day. And that means it was like a Thanksgiving dinner, folks. It was so much food that you could sit there and eat all day and still have plenty uh, left over. And some people think that as they read this, that that's maybe just a little bit of an exaggeration. Maybe, maybe uh, Luke here is trying to just really paint a bad picture of this rich man, and it could be. But early in the Roman Empire, there was a distinct class uh, system and definite levels of social rankings. And I think every culture has this kind of a thing. There's always the division between the haves and the have-nots, and and sometimes it's difficult to transition yourself from one section to the next, from the haves to the, or from the have-nots to the haves. And uh, and in the first century, in Rome and the Roman Empire, there was an explosion of wealth. It was with the rise of trade and commerce. People were able to travel the roads 
the, there was what was called the Pax Romana, which means peace throughout all of Rome. And, and there were paved streets that they, the Romans built so that their armies could travel easily, but it also increased commerce. And a lot of businessmen amassed great fortunes, and some of them were desperately trying to climb the social ladder because there was that ruling class, the, 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 of course, the emperor and the senate and those that surrounded them. There was that class, and then everything was uh, progressively lower than that. And some of these nouveau rich, the new rich, the people that had just uh, made a lot of money, they were wanting to climb that social ladder. And many times what they did, they did so by flaunting their wealth. And it's obvious that in this uh, story that the rich man was doing exactly that. He wore purple every day. And the reason that's important is because in that day, the color purple was a very expensive color. The dye that uh, you dyed materials purple, it came from a distinct kind of snail that lived in the eastern Mediterranean and and really in the Israel and Phoenicia and those areas right in there, they were well known for their purple dyes and, and it was very expensive. So when people wore purple, what they were saying was is that we're wealthy. We've got a lot of money. And the fact that they, and fine linen, linen was the finest and the most expensive cloth at that time and and wearing purple and fine linen every day, they just didn't happen. Most of it was from wool, and uh, and it was uh, very common that they would wear wool clothes, and wearing this linen was a sign of uh, uh, being uh, rich and having uh, a lot of different uh, things at your beck and call. Now understand this, it's not the man's wealth, it's not the rich man's wealth that Jesus was concerned with. It's not that, that wasn't the issue. It was his trust in his riches uh, and how he uh, tied it to his personal security, his hope, his identity, his material wealth was was the what was the main thing about his self-worth, he thought it was all uh, hinged on his wealth. Now, Proverbs 11.28 tells us, Who, Whosoever trusts in riches will fall. Whosoever trusts in riches will fall because riches are temporary. They're, 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 they don't last forever. They come and they... Go and one of the seductive traps of being wealthy and is finding your security, finding your identity in your wealth. The myth of the self-sufficiency is totally opposite of understanding of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, for believers, they find their security and their identity, their self-worth in Christ Jesus. 
not their personal possessions. And so we find here, they recognize that their wealth is uh, a blessing from God, and uh, they use it to glorify him and not themselves. Now, the second character is Lazarus, obviously not the same Lazarus that we find in John chapter 11 where Jesus raised him from the dead. It's not that Lazarus. It was uh, another Lazarus. This was a very poor man. He was also sickly. He had wounds or sores all over his body. He was unable to work, and he was really at the uh, mercy of those that were around him. And somebody had taken this very poor individual and laid him at the gate of this rich man, hoping to spark some kind of empathy, some kind of concern and care that he would offer him something as he went in and out of his estate. Uh, By the way, let me also say that Lazarus, this poor man, is the only character in all of Jesus' parables that are named, that is named. You can go back and you read through every, every parable that Jesus taught and none of the characters were named. But this one was because I think that Jesus was trying to make a special point here. He was trying to drive home a very uh, important truth and we'll get to that in, in just a moment. He was a poor man and he was laid at the gate at the rich man, at, of the rich man's estate and Uh, this wouldn't be uncommon. This was often done with the poor that were unable to take care of themselves, hoping that perhaps a rich man's uh, mercy or empathy or care uh, would provide for him. But there's no evidence of that at all. There's no evidence. There's nothing. I believe that if that rich man had even given a second thought to Lazarus there at his gate. Jesus would have said something about it, but there's no mention at all. That rich man went in and out of his gate every single day, and maybe sometimes you would even have to step over uh, Lazarus to get by. And every time, I'm sure, he was thinking, why in the world is this guy uh, hanging out here? And he was put out by the fact that he had the gall to lay down at his gate just hoping you know what his hope was he said he said i'd be able to survive if i just got the crumbs that fell off your table you remember this guy he feasted sumptuously every single day he always had way more that he could eat and and lazarus was hoping that he'd just give me a few scraps that i might be able to live by the bible teaches that he didn't do it. The old, the Lazarus just laid there and he grew weaker and he grew weaker and weaker and then finally he died. And the Bible says and it wasn't long after that. We don't know why. But it wasn't long after that that the rich man died as well. And that brings us to the second. I, I Not only do we want to see them in this life, but we want to take a look at them in the hereafter. We want to see them in the next life. And uh, the first surprise of this uh, uh, parable becomes apparent right away because it says there in verse 23, 
And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up. Well, go back to verse 22. He said that when Lazarus died, he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, if you're not real sure what Abraham's bosom is, then you're probably... uh, feel right at home with a lot of people because nowhere else in Scripture other than this parable is Abraham's bosom ever mentioned. It's never mentioned anywhere in the Bible except in this parable right here. And what it means is, is of course, near Abraham. Now, Abraham was the father of the faithful. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham certainly was with God. And being in Abraham's bosom, being close to Abraham, meant that you were close to God. And so, so they were, they were uh, uh, talking about Abraham being carried by the angels to heaven. Now, if you want to really know why, because it's never mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, it is mentioned in the Talmud. Now, most of you probably don't know what the Talmud was. The Talmud was kind of like a... Uh, commentary. It was a list of all the rabbinical uh, teachings. The, uh, the Old Testament is divided into three different sections. Uh, you think of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. They were all written by Moses, and, and the Torah is considered also the law. And, uh, and then there were the prophets, all of the prophets, and then there was a little section of, of poetry. Now, the poetry was the Psalms and the Proverbs and the Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. Those were the, that was the poetry. And then you had the prophets and the minor prophets, and then you had the Torah. So there were those basically three uh, sections of the Old Testament. They were sacred, divinely inspired by God. Now, the Talmud was sacred to the Jews, but it wasn't divine. It was the, a compilation of teachings that the rabbis used to when they discussed the scriptures and they wrote out uh, notes about the different scriptures and they debated the scriptures and came up with decisions about them and all of those kinds of things. Those were all recorded in the Talmud. Now, in the Talmud, uh, this use of Abraham's bosom is mentioned several times and they use it to describe heaven. So we know that when Jesus used it here in this parable that he was talking, they took, they took Lazarus up to heaven. That was shocking to the people that were listening to this, uh, to this parable there in the first century. Because you see, the pharisaical teachings were that if you were poor, and not just poor, if you were sick or you had sores all over you and you had to be laid at the gate or dogs came and licked your sores, that was about as pathetic as a person could be. And, and, and the Pharisees would teach that that person was no way blessed by God, but he was cursed by God. And that's the reason he was living his life the way he was. He was cursed of God, and they would have thought there was no way in the world that that kind of a person could ever make it to heaven. But yet here is Jesus saying that the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom, that the angels carried him to heaven. And uh, 
to make uh, things even worse, the one that they thought would have the blessings of God, the rich man, the man that was uh, looked like he was doing very well in life, certainly he would have been the one that was blessed, but the Bible says that he wound up in Hades. He wound up in hell, and uh, he saw Abraham afar off and, and, uh, and Re- Lazarus there in his bosom. This was, I mean, it was, uh, it was terrible to even think that that kind of thing could have happened. How could he wind up in hell? Now, what do we learn from this so far? Number one, you can't judge people by their appearance. Amen? God doesn't judge us by how much money we have, how successful we are in life, or the kinds of possessions that we have. That has nothing to do with the way God judges us. And so those Pharisees were thinking there was no way Lazarus could be in heaven and there's no way that the wealthy man could be in hell. And Jesus was just turning that on its head and says it has nothing to do with that kind of stuff. Our relationship with God, whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell, is dependent upon what we do with Jesus Christ. Amen? Our faith in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing that it teaches is that hell, folks, listen to me, is a real place, and it's a place of torment, and it's a place where there is absolutely no chance of relief. Now, a lot of times, people today, it says Hades in my translation. I use the New King James translation of the of, of the Bible, and in that, it's, it's translated Hades. Hades was, uh, in the Greek, was the Greek term for Sheol, the Hebrew term Sheol. And it related to the, uh, the abode of the dead. And, and always in the Hebrew teaching and even in the Greek teaching, that word Hades was divided into two, uh, or Sheol was divided into two sections. One was paradise and where the, where the uh, righteous people went and one was Hades, where the unrighteous, the wicked people, and it was a place of torment, and it was a place of utter darkness and extense, uh, uh, intensive heat and fire, and uh, it was a horrible place to be. The last place in the world. Now, now people, even in Jesus' day, didn't like the teachings about going to hell. And... Uh, that, had, that didn't stop in those days. It goes all the way to today. You know, they, you can take somebody that lives one of the vilest lives that you could ever imagine, meanest, murderers, rapists, uh, all kinds of things, and, the, and at their funeral, they'll talk about them going to heaven. Folks, listen to me. That's not the way it's going to happen, I promise you. There is a place, folks, there is a place that is a literal hell and it is a place of torment and it lasts forever and forever and forever and forever and Jesus here is delineating he's delineating he's making a difference 
between heaven and hell because that day the Sadducees, have you heard the Pharisees and Sadducees? The Sadducees didn't believe in hell. They didn't believe in an afterlife at all. And, uh, and it's gone down all through the ages. Back in the, in the mid-19th century, there was a neo-liberalism, uh, neo-orthodoxy they called it, and they tried to minimize. One, one writer that I read said they tried to air-condition hell. They tried to make hell seem like it wasn't so bad. And you've heard people talking about hell as being a, a party. Well, I'll go down there. I'll be partying in hell while, while you're in heaven and, and that kind of thing. And, and folks, listen to me. Listen to me. How can I say this? You don't want to go to hell. You don't want to go to hell. There is nothing fun about hell. It is a place of eternal torment. And I'm not, try, I'm not trying to scare anybody here, folks. Listen, Well, maybe I am. If I could scare you, if I could scare you into heaven, I would do that. But I can't do that. That's a decision you're going to find in a few minutes that you're going to have to make for yourself. But the, I want you to know, I want you to know that there is a hell. And those that die without Jesus Christ are going to spend an eternity there. It's not a place to be. It's not a good place to be. Uh, Lazarus found himself there, and he was asking Jesus, uh, Abraham, to let. Uh, I'm sorry. The rich man found himself in hell, and he was looking up and he was begging Abraham the father of the faithful, the father of the Jews, please send Lazarus. Now, being in hell doesn't make you sorry for your sins. Being in hell doesn't, I mean, you just, you're, 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 you're going to suffer there, but that doesn't make you sorry for what, the way you lived your life here. That rich man, he looked up, he asked Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool his tongue. He was still looking at Lazarus. He didn't have any compassion on Lazarus at all. He didn't feel sorry for the way he treated Lazarus in this life. He just wanted, he thought, he saw him as a servant. He says, send Lazarus. He didn't say send an angel or anything. He says, send Lazarus. He's nothing, he's a nobody anyway. <coughs> send him here to dip his finger and, uh, Abraham said, I'm sorry, that can't happen because there's a chasm, there's a gulf, there is a, a ravine or a, a, a canyon between where you are and where I am. And uh, it can't be crossed. It can't be crossed. So that's going to last forever and ever and ever. There can be no relief for those that are in heaven, that are in hell. And uh, wow, what a reality. What I mean, Jesus is really laying it on thick here. Uh, folks, uh, boy, hell's just not a place. The only way to escape that, of course, is through faith in Jesus Christ. The third point 
and I'll be finished in just a few minutes. It's the twist. I called it the twist. Not this kind of twist, but uh, <laughs> but the twist, the, 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 the reversal that we find here. We find it in verses 27 through 31. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Why did I tell you that about the Old Testament a while ago? They have Moses and the prophets. The Moses, what he's talking about there is the Torah. He's talking about the law. They have Moses and the prophets, and they didn't listen to him, and so they wouldn't listen. He said, oh, 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 but just, just, if somebody from the dead were to rise up and go to him, then they would believe. He says, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to, even if somebody were to raise from the dead, they were not going to believe. Now, who was saying this? That was Jesus, the one who would soon rise from the dead. And by the way, remember way back in the Old Testament, remember Elijah, Elijah uh, raised a young boy back from the dead. Remember Jesus also rose the other Lazarus, he raised him from the dead. Remember that Jairus' daughter, he raised from the dead. And yet they still didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. That, <coughs> excuse me, that there, there was a necessity to have a relationship with the living God to ever, ever, ever think about the possibility of spending eternity with God in heaven. It's only through Christ. It's only through his shed blood. Why? Because we've all sinned. Amen? We've all sinned. Even the wealthy, even the successful, we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible teaches that the wages of that sin, what we earn from that sin, is to be eternally separated from God. But that didn't stop God from still loving us. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on Calvary's cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. Jesus came and he died on Calvary's cross to pay the penalty. And it's only through our faith in him, that faith in Jesus Christ, it's only by believing that he did what he said he would do. Now why did he say Moses and the, and the prophet, the law and prophets? Remember earlier, several people asked Jesus about who he was and he said, Search the scriptures. Now, the only scriptures they had was the Old Testament, which was Moses and prophets and a few books of poetry. That was the only scriptures that they had. He said, search the scriptures, for they speak of me. What he's talking about here, the real lesson of the parable of the rich man in Lazarus was not the fallacy of self-sufficiency, it's not the fact that there is eternal hell that is not a good place to go to, although those are important and those are real. But that's not the real point. The real point is the sufficiency 
of Scripture, of the prophets, and of Moses. Folks, listen to me. The only way that you'll ever have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, is by faith in Christ. How? How do we gain faith? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The Word of God. The Word of God. If we can't, if we don't believe the Scriptures, it doesn't matter how many dead people come talk, knock on your door and tell you about Jesus. You're not going to believe. If you don't believe this, and that's been, that's been the real test of the church from the very days of the beginning until now. There's always been question about the validity and the sufficiency of Holy Scripture. There's always been that debate. Can we trust the Bible? Folks, listen to me. The only way that you're ever going to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ is to believe the Word of God and to study the Word of God and to know the Word of God that you might grow in your faith to that place. Yes, sir. I believe. Because if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was God's son, that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. You've got to believe, folks. You've got to believe. Take your word. I, uh, I love to hear when I'm preaching and I'm turning, I didn't turn to many, I didn't turn to any scriptures today except the one that our text was in. But when I do, I love to hear the Bible pages turn. There's nothing that pleases a preacher's heart more than hearing those Bibles, you know, the pages turning. I, I, I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. Don't depend on these little things. Bring your Bible to church. And uh, read along with me, just to make sure I'm telling the truth. What I'm reading is really there, amen? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. That's what's important. All right, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for today, and we thank you for the blessings that you give us. We thank you for Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here this morning, I pray, God, for each and every person here. I pray, Lord, God, that uh, the message it was not mine but yours. And I pray, God, that uh, we all heard it. Speak to us even now, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen.